Aloha, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. I've got the ringers, J. Kyle Mann with me today. We're going to talk top of the draft. Our guys that we like, we don't like, we're going to disagree a little bit about get top prospects in the draft, but we really want to dive in. It's March Madness has come. We really want to dive in. Who are the top prospects in 2022 NBA draft? Here we go. All right, we're back with the ringers, J. Kyle Mann. Hey, thanks for coming on the show. Man, thank you for having me. Like I was telling you, we were talking off the air. It's like I've consumed your stuff for a long time. I'm not trying to make you feel old, but <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you um, were somebody, this is something I've always consumed, and you were somebody that like just, you were you were early on the scene, man, and, and did a great job, and honestly probably st- stoked my interest in it, so I, I've appreciated you for all these years. I appreciate that. And uh, it does make me feel a little bit old, the grays coming into the beard now. And it, it is weird, like when you've done this as long as I've done it, um, it, it just becomes part of you and how you think. And it's such an interesting thing. Like I'll always love the draft and always love having conversations with folks and really appreciate the work that you've done. I, I was blown away, by the way, by um, the Jabari Smith piece that you did, man. It's probably been like, what, about a month now? Yeah, I think I did it in December. I think yeah. it was before conference play, but I appreciate that. Really, that yeah. that compliment you gave me it meant, meant a lot to me. I appreciate it. Yeah, and it, you know, the, and and one of the things that you know you and your generation has been doing with a video breakdown and being able to really dive in, um, you know, to players, I think is just one of the coolest things that's really come out of the draft lately. And um, uh, we've got a Rafael Barlow. If you're wondering where Rafael Barlow is, he's stuck in a layover in Istanbul right now. There's a snowstorm in Istanbul. Uh, so that's where Rafael Barlow was uh, doing some international scouting for us. So I really appreciate you coming in and, um, you know, filling in this week and talking about talking about the draft. What I want to do today is just have a discussion with you. I always love bringing in people because there's there's no consensus number one guy, really. I actually... I actually push against that a little bit because it, it feels like the NBA is getting there uh, with Jar- Jabari Smith. But I certainly know there's strong Chet Holmgren people. There's strong Paula Boncaro people. There's even some Jaden Ivey, uh, you know, folks sort of hanging around uh, the, the fringes right now. So let's just start at the top. You've watched these guys really carefully. Do you have a guy right now that just personally you're like, this guy should be the number one pick in the draft? This has been one of those, um, and I almost feel like when I'm watching these top three, kind of the consensus guys at the top, uh, as they've sort of jockeyed and jostled for position, I've almost felt like we're watching one of those like jumbotron races at a game where you're just like, like, okay, that guy's, what, what, oh, you know, it's like <laughs> they keep flipping spots. This is like somebody tweeted the other day that scouting is a living document, and a lot of times we act like once we're we get to a certain point in their career, it's like they're done but that's just not the way it is like this is one point in like the value cycle where they're assessed and for me right now i've kind of gone i i co-host a a show with jonathan sharks um who is you know brilliant basketball guy but we we've kind of gone back and forth about paolo and jabari i used to be like when paolo was in high school uh i was pretty enamored with him I, i was like i didn't really have many nitpicks for him but i've kind of come to the point where i've studied um this this draft i always say it's kind of like a philosophical fault line kind of a thing where we're like okay does the number one pick need to be a primary guy does he need to be a primary offensive number one or a defensive number one like uh you know the primary guy uh and 
if they if a player who is maybe not a primary but they're extremely efficient at what they do at a high level should that player go ahead of them like does a primary always need to go first um and i've kind of been circling chet for a while to the point where i'm looking at the things that chet provides i'm looking at the limitate and measuring that against the the limitations of jabari and what i think Paolo's ceiling is i feel like the floor for chet holmgren is pretty high and I feel like uh, Jabari's floor is also pretty high. I am in the Chet camp right now. Long way of saying that. I, I kind of I kind of feel like Chet Holmgren is going to be a very good NBA player with a, an extremely broad skill set. Well, this is this is a great way to kick it off. Chet started the year for me at one. Uh, he's number two on my latest big board right now. Jabari passed him. I think in Big Board 3.0, so whenever that was, December, January update, I can't, I can't quite remember. Uh, I can't keep track of these anymore. Um, is when Jabari passed him for me. He's, I've been doing this a long time, and it feels like most players that I scout anymore, I have a good feeling of other sort of comps and you know other types of players. I don't really like the exact player comps, but I, I like like taking strands of different guys or whatever. I think he's the most unique guy that 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 I've that I've scouted. I don't know. I, I to this day, so I'll be really curious who you've got or who you're thinking. Like, I don't know who to like say, like, okay, if you think about Chet in the league in three to five years, here's some players that you could look at that he could have a career like. And you know, maybe like a high hit, a middle hit, and then you know, a, a low hit. I'm just I think this is the hesitation. I mean, you look at the analytics. I think Chet Chet's gonna Chet's gonna win the day, uh, right? On on most sort of analytics boards, Chet's gonna win the day. Um, if you just look at you know seven foot one guy who can do all the things that Chet can do, both offensively and defensively, it's clear it's there. I think it's the hundred ninety pounds and a little bit the age. Uh, he he's he is he is a bit older for a uh, for a uh, freshman. I you know he's I think he's already twenty. Um, so he's a little bit older that that makes a difference for for some for some scouts or whatever but i think the hardest thing is like who is he uh at the next level and and here's going to be because i hate i hate comparing guys to like hall of famers and things like that it's really really hard but the only guy that i see some similarities to is kevin garnett um to to me um and part of it is the you know the skinny frame but the, the skill set plus the toughness. I mean, whatever you want to say about Kevin Garnett, like the toughness, it belied whatever sort of frame that he had. He never really bulked up and got, you know, huge in the NBA, but his toughness is motor. And, you know, one thing you'll say about Chad is he doesn't back down from anybody. Um, he, he goes at it so hard. He looks frail, but whatever he's got inside is far from frail. Yeah, I think the size thing, the age thing, I think is a case by case basis for him. I don't, you know, if someone is like physically dominant and I'm kind of looking at what like the growth, I always say growth plate on their game. Like I, I don't necessarily worry so much about Chet. I think you're right with the analytics. I mentioned this stat the other day that, um, you know, in college, I, I think like low wastefulness in your game is important. Um, but like I brought this up that players in college ball since like 2008 that have had a true shooting above 65 and an assist percentage above 10% and a block percentage above 10%. It's Brandon Clark, Joel Embiid, and then uh, Kenny Kenny George, the the big guy that played for uh, UNC Asheville, and then Chet. So, I mean, it's pretty incredible, like, efficiency company. Um, I don't th- 
I, I think you have to ask yourself that question now. What is he going to be offensively? Um, also, the size thing. I've asked some people like that that I know that are like into like sports, the sports science world. Do we have any kind of comparison for how big these guys are? How like what can we see? That stuff is hard. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> it's hard to like land there and just say I don't know. But I, I feel like um, he's going to be a good passer. I think he's a better defender than people give him credit for even like, I think he's very smart positionally uh, and just kind of like swallows people up. Um, the the size thing and the weight thing and the strength thing are, are going to be sort of hinging, you know, because if we weren't worrying about those things, I think he's number one. Like, I don't really oh, feel like I would even have much of a, no question. Yeah. Consensus number one, far and away. Just if we just looked at his production and we just took the weight thing out of it, like and you just said, okay, there's a seven footer. Here's what the seven footer is doing. Let me just sort of lay out. You don't get to see him, but here's here's the statistical case for what this guy's doing. Like I think everybody would check that box and say that's the guy that goes, you know, number one in the draft. And then it's it's 190 and seeing the awkwardness, seeing him fall down 15, 16 times a game. Um, you know, every every that you start to say, well, how does that? How does that look? And, you know, Poku was kind of like that, you know, as far as like body type or whatever. And, you know, the jury's still out on him and, you know, what he's going to be. But he, he didn't have the success level that Chet has had, you know, early on. What um, I, I guess my question is, who do you got a comp for him? Do you got somebody that you're kind of thinking like this is this is who he could be? He's really unique. I think you start to, we could just go line by line here. I mean, I think that the shooting thing is interesting and important too, because sometimes we can, we can fall in love with the idea of what somebody can do, like in an empty gym, you know, every year we'll see people, you know, in workouts making, I, I always laugh because like that, if, if you really are around like good players, NBA players, like people went nuts when that Clay Thompson video came out when he made 25 in a row. I was like, I know people like that. It, that's not that crazy. But I mean, um, I've got any video of Ben Simmons at pre-draft in Cleveland sinking threes. He and DeJounte Murray, like just trading threes back and forth all over the, and you know, and then you say, well, maybe he can shoot. It was in a gym with a trainer. Um, right. And they, you know, uh, Ben Simmons took more threes in that, workout session than he's done his entire career so <laughs> yeah it's it, the the filter i think for some skill sets is like the speed of the game and i don't think that you can really i've never played an nba game i'm not gonna act like i can like preach pe people and hit them over the head but if you stand near an nba game the speed of it is the filter for like what skills are functional so if you look at chet his his shooting, I'm not so sure. Like, I mean, he his shot looks good. If we're just breaking down on that, it seems like he like back rims a lot. I don't know. It's it seemed like he's been more of a hypothetical shooter than I've liked. But he's a good finisher. He doesn't really get buried around the basket as much as I would like. Um, he can push it in transition. I've always enjoyed that. And he can once he gets and I'll see him getting pushed off of his straight line sometimes when he's dribbling in transition. And he gets around that foul line area. People can kind of get him off balance. Once he gets a little more power in his lower body, he can start to like power through and get to the rim, things like that. But the, the comp thing, um, that that's the type of player that he fits for me is like defensive anchor. Um, and then he can maybe doesn't necessarily have to be like a scoring primary. He can give you like passing in the middle, be kind of like a connective playmaker. Like you throw it to him at the elbow. He can hit cutters. Um, if he can be like a catch and shoot guy, he's sort of like a more actualized version of like Porzingis, honestly, um, because the Gar the Garnett thing is like so hard because it's like you're talking about 
elite generational defensive impact. And I feel like Garnett was a little more of a twitchy, tighter, kind of had that like sports car athleticism, whereas Chet has these limbs that just kind of like catch <laughs> they catch res- more wind resistance it almost seems like he's not quite uh yeah he's not quite a tight of an athlete i feel like as garnett yeah i think that's right and i think that's why i wouldn't put if i thought it was kevin garnett he would also be clearly the number one guy on my board right <laughs> that's like it's, true yeah it's, it's something else i'm curious who who did you have one on your board last year do, do you remember okay oh, all the way yeah I, I i've been and maybe maybe i did some um maybe there was some blind spot with that, but I had been on, you know, I've been watching Cade for quite some time, even pre-college. And, 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 uh, I, I discussed this a little bit in my writing and on the podcasting thing. I had an idea of him being like a, a heliocentric, like center of an offense and could all could score and like at high volume create offense. I'm not so sure that he is that anymore, but I had Cade number one. And I, I still think that, I mean, he's playing better and better. So, um, that's, that's been an interesting kind of dialogue to, yeah, I, I actually think Cade's played. I mean, if you take away the first month of the season where you know he he didn't get training camp and he was coming back from injury and it was pretty awful, like he's he's played to me up to what I thought we'd probably get from Cade the first year. I think the issue has been what Evan Mobley has shown uh, is is now. I don't think it's that Cade's done anything wrong. I guess is my point. Like I I think Cade is to me starting maybe maybe not, but may end up being exactly the guy that we thought he was going to be in the NBA. It's just that I think that Mobley may now transcend that, and and maybe Scotty Barnes will too. You know, you know we'll see in a way that I I think I think this is where the debate gets confusing. It's not that I think if people are saying that maybe it should have been Evan Mobley one or whatever that that is a dig on Cade as much as it's that you know, there's, there's some upside there that, that we're seeing now. So I guess my question is the reason I asked that, would you take Chad over any of those guys, Mobley, Cade Cunningham, if they were all in the draft together, would you take Chad over, over Cade, over uh, Mobley? I don't know if there's any other, the rookies that you're really, really high on right now. It's been a really great rookie cat class, but Oh yeah, I mean it's a it's a fantastic rookie class. Um, I mean I I really love Josh Giddy. Uh, KOC was uh, higher on him than I I was. I had some of my like reservations. Um, something I might write about soon about like players their ceilings is something I've been kind of you know refining and analyzing myself like in my process. Like what am I? Because I've been a little conservative at times. Um, but yeah, I would say you know I think that Mobley and Cade would be one two again in this in this draft. I feel I feel like their impact is pretty was pretty clear to me as like I thought Cade could be a really good team defender and the things I said about his offense. But then Mobley, you know, I had Mobley too, but I still had a lot of respect for him, and I I I thought that they could both be like top ten to twenty ish players in the league, which is extremely high praise. And to get two of those guys in one draft is is wild as you know um so yeah i would i would say i would probably have i wouldn't have chet ab- above either one of those two guys but then once you get past two i you could start to have that conversation i think yeah i, I think it just sort of again i like to kind of level set expectations around this draft compared to what we saw last year i'm, I'm not sure that i have jabari one but i still think that i would for sure have knowing what i know now i wouldn't say this last year but knowing what i know now mobley i would i would take ahead of jabari then Jabari gets in the conversation with me. I'm also a big Scotty Barnes guy. Uh, and and so I, I still see a really, really high ceiling for Barnes in a way that intrigues me. Um, look, let's um, let's talk about one of our sponsors and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the other guys for the, for the, for the number one pick. 
This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now possible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Winder often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more of the same parts at the chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. They have everything you could need. Brake lamp, brake brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car and truck. Right, locked on. And there, how did you hear about us, Fox? So they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Okay, so you got Chet one. Who's two? Uh, this this has been even tougher for me because lately, um, like I said, it's it's really close. Like this is the tightest one, two, three for me in a while. Um, at the beginning of the year, I would have said Paolo, no hesitation. And then I was watching Jabari and getting blown away. And as you were talking about, like I wrote that long dive. I mean, I've, I'd watched everything I possibly could. I was watching like his high school games, Jabari's high school games, everything I everything I could get a hold of. Um, for me, it's a question of I'm really confident about what Jabari is going to be in terms of like a really high quality rotation player. Like he's that good of a shooter at his size, doesn't need a lot of space, can create a shot without a dribble. He has that no dribble offensive game. For me, the star threshold is kind of the difference. And I'm just looking at Paolo and I'm saying, how confident am I? about him tapping into that. I saw in your draft guide, you mentioned like Carmelo Anthony. I feel like Jabari is a little less of a jump shooter, but he's more of a, I see playmaking upside with him that makes me curious. And I've seen willingness to do it. Um, so right now I've, I'm leaning towards Paolo at two, which may surprise you. So we'll differ there a little bit. Um, but it's, it is tough because they're all three such good players. Um, my, my, the other factor of this is that Jabari's, um, and I talk about this in that piece too, is like the the bridge to becoming a star that can be like a playmaker, that can be like a guy who generates fouls, a guy that generates um, implosion of defenses and things like that and help. Um, those players typically have handle at that size. If you look at all of them, if you look at Paul George, if you look at uh, Kevin Durant, that's you know elite company, even Chris Middleton. Handle is pretty critical. Right now, I'm not like, He's not like a horrible liability of a ball handler, but I haven't seen enough of it to make me confident that he's going to be a star in that sense. So I'm leaning Paolo. That was, and I, and I do think that that question is the Jabari question, right? Like he's going to be, I I think pretty much everybody's confident he's going to be elite shot maker uh, in the NBA. But can he put the ball on the floor? Can he create uh, for himself? Is that handle going to tighten up because it's not there yet? You see him, and 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 some finishing questions as well. Um, you know, for him, uh, I think that that. The thing that's that's on the NBA guy's side is like, here's a guy that we know is going to have an elite skill in the NBA, and we're really, really confident that this is going to be an elite 
an elite thing. He's going to be an elite shooter and given his size and the way that he rises up in that shot, it's very difficult to defend that at the next level. So if he starts to add, and, and I'd say the second thing that they really like about him is his competitiveness. Um, this is also a guy who's not at all going to shy away from taking that shot. Once the ball in his hands at the end of the game, um, you know, plays that way. So now it's just a sort of question of, will he add something else right to his game that that really sort of takes the next level. And I also think the, the fact that Jabari has finished the season as strong as he's finished it, um, you know, for Auburn and starting to get more active on the defensive end as well. I think that argument's there where it's, it's again, sort of perceived ceilings for Boncaro. Like we know all of these things Boncaro is going to do well and it's going to quickly translate the NBA. Uh, my guess is he, as a rookie, is probably likely going to look the best. Um, going in just because he's going to have the physical strength uh, to handle the NBA in ways that, you know, Chad and, and Jabari, that's going to be a big, much bigger adjustment for them. I think Jabari might end up being a better rookie, honestly, because I feel like the shooting is going to translate immediately. I feel like it might be depending on where all this depends on where they go too. you know, because some guys can go in and end up overburdened. Their skill set can be stretched beyond what it can handle, you know, and, and he might be a little inefficient, but Anyway, sorry to jump in. No, no, that's that's actually a really fair point. And, uh, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting. Is it does it become a Jalen Green situation where, it, you know, it gets overwhelmed? Though he look, Jalen Green's starting to play better, uh, and you know that's 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 good news for Houston is that he's starting to play better. Um, that yeah, that's a really interesting question, and I, I do think that this is one of these drafts where occasionally we get a guy in the draft where like ah, he's going to fit in any system, like teams are going to figure him out. Chet to me is so dependent on what an NBA head coach is going to decide. What am I going to do with Chet? How am I going to use Chet? There's like multiple options sort of out there. I think Detroit even was trying to figure that out with Kate Cunningham early on. It also was, you know, part of, of, of the question. Evan Mobley, we kind of knew coming in, how is a coach going to use Evan Mobley? What's it going to look like? I think he landed on the perfect team for him uh, in Cleveland and the way they, they, they sort of built that team, but you could go in different directions and maybe it doesn't look the same. And I, I think that's going to be true for, for all three of these guys, I'm um, coming in. How, what team he lands on, and how coaches. You, you have a you have a favorite team for either of these any of these guys. Like if you're kind of looking at the teams that are going to be selecting, you know, high in the lottery. Is there like, man, I'd like to see Chet on this team, or I'd like to see Jabari on this team. Uh, I, one thing that I was going to tack on to what you were saying is that um, I kind of feel like Chet's role malleability is one of the big selling points for him. I, I because I really could see him playing with. He can be a low pressure guy and still provide you a lot. And I think that's one of the selling points for him with Gonzaga is he's been in a limited role and still had an insane impact. Like if you think of him as like a vertical spacer, like he, you know, Cade hasn't, doesn't have a lob threat in Detroit right now. Um, and, and he has a, honestly a roster that is just like not optimized to his, his skill set at all. And I think the more that we see them fill that roster out with the right types of players, you see this with Luca too. It's it, when you have that kind of like score playmaker type. You really need to do your best to give them um, options so they can be more efficient. But like I could see it in Detroit, I could see Houston is really interesting for me because I could see, um, you know, his pairing with Timmy at Gonzaga is interesting because Timmy does is not a conduit for offense. Timmy is a spot where the offense goes to and he either posts scores or doesn't. It's like it's very much like a, it's not a flowing loop. And I could see him playing with like Shingun at the four and then you could see and you can play with Chet as a spacer um, and you could play him you know as a high post kind of player too uh, and I don't know and then Oklahoma City also another 
another situation that that would work where you have Poku um, and Chad in your front line together. <laughs> Poku is a guy. <laughs> Could you imagine He's Poku and of, Chad on the front line together? That's amazing. I just want to see the photos of that. But uh, you know, D D Poku and Chet together is uh, Poku is is a source of uh, ribbing and fandom at the Ringer. We we love we love and get frustrated with Poku. Um, but yeah, I mean Jabari Jabari really similar. I think the 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 most like conditional like role conditional player is probably Paolo. I think Paolo, like we were talking about, he could really look good or rough depending on who he's paired with like if you put him in a situation where you really need him to grow as a playmaker quickly it could it could be a wasteful ugly kind of beginning i could see that yeah you like him in oklahoma city boncaro with playing with a couple of playmakers shea and josh giddy they you know if they're gonna okc is just so up in the air in terms of what they are i always i always joke about like when we start laughing about like fit with some of these teams that are at the at the top of the draft and i'm always just like fit is a word that implies you are have an existing thing that works <laughs> so it's kind of like it's kind of like the thing with cleveland um where they sometimes just take the best player typically is my opinion and and figure it out later because if you're worrying about fit with something that isn't just already working uh you're going to set yourself up for problems but i mean i could I, oklahoma city as they exist they need shooting and playmaking in their front court badly because they have a really dominant downhill guard with with uh shea and then you have a guard that he doesn't exactly fit perfectly with with giddy as much as i love them both like i really enjoy them as players um chet would work there paolo would is it's possible like it's it's um but honestly i, I don't know i could see any of these guys kind of working uh in these spots like i don't see anything that's like glaringly uh that could be rough but paolo with orlando could be ugly like I'm, I'm not so sure about that one wendell carter uh, and yeah like there's yeah yeah and you, and you got guards that aren't exactly like pace you know playing with great pace and playmaking and things like that i want to see paolo that's something about duke i think that is forcing him into um all, all the duke prospects honestly they don't have sort of a central hub of like controlling the flow of the game and like they they have a bunch of secondary creators and playmakers that are being forced into primary roles and that can create for ugly basketball. Like I'm a Kentucky basketball fan. I know all about that. I've seen some really clunky rough rosters and that's what we're watching it do. All right. Uh, so that, so that you, you answered that for Chad. I mean, you said those guys, is there a place where you'd love to see Jabari? Is there a team that you're like, Oh man, I think you'd really pop there. He'd work in Houston and Detroit. I mean, Oklahoma City, I think, would be an incredible fit for Jabari, uh, based on what I was saying. Like, you could you get a, a good defender and you get uh, somebody that can shoot the ball. I think that that's that's that would be a good fit for them. Um, but he's pretty malleable too. Every I always joke, every team in the league, if you go around and say, "Hey, do you need spacing and size?" It's just, I always joke that it's like in school when someone would offer you a piece of piece of gum you're like yeah i'll take a piece of gum that's like that's the way that's the way it is in the nba it's, you always need spacing and size and shooting is there anybody else in your opinion besides those three guys that could be a dark horse for the number one pick or should be considered for the number one pick because i know there's this group think that starts to to grow in every draft right it it, it really around Cade, there was such a strong group think he's the absolute number one pick you know, Detroit fans freaked out before the draft. If anybody mentioned anybody else other other than Cade, they they because that 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 narrative became so strong. 
And we know that this is part of it, right? And that, that narrative is there with those th- three guys. As you're scouting and looking, is there anybody else that says, look, if we took away the narrative for a minute, this guy is done enough or is talented enough or has the ceiling where a team should legitimately consider him? There are a couple guys. Yeah, I, I think it's important, like what you were saying, it's important to have the the negative you need diversity of thought. I think we've seen, you know, you can't, the, the consensus thing can be overwhelming sometimes and it's good to have, um, you know, as positives, we need negatives that quote from Philip Seymour Hoffman, the master. But, um, I think that, uh, you could see star upside with Jay Nivey. I've heard people say that when you think about like his dribble separation, it's pretty special. I think he's probably got the best dribble separation, probably in the draft off the bounce, like, uh, at the guard spot. Um, in terms of like going number one, um, sometimes I wonder if Jalen Duran is underrated. I wouldn't go number one. I've wondered if he could flirt with that like four, five, six range. I think the big wild card, and we kind of talked about this a little bit, is like, what do you think about Shaden Sharp? Because Shaden Sharp is sitting there as a guy that you could maybe nab. Um, you should take him at number one. You're not really getting ahead of the game because, but I mean, if you could p- take him. A little bit lower, you might be getting a guy who is a number one talent potentially um, later in the draft. Those are two guys that come to mind. I don't see Griffin going that high. Johnny Davis, um, I like him, but I don't see him as a guy that I would spend the number one pick on. Um, those are just a few that kind of come to mind off off the top of my head. Okay, so let's let's talk about Shaden Sharp for a minute. Um, you know the Kentucky stuff well. Um, obviously, he's going to get drafted without playing at Kentucky if he declares for the draft. I mean, right, like there's all these questions. Let's just throw the caveats out there. Like he may not even declare for the draft. That's what his family's right now says he's coming back to Kentucky. Uh, I've been doing this a long time. The skeptic in me says uh, guys that are going to be top 10 picks in the draft, and I think he's a lock for the top 10, um, don't come go back to school. I mean, Blake Griffin did it. There's there's a few people that have done it, but it's, it's an extremely rare thing. If he does declare despite the reports that are out there, the NBA still has to rule on whether he's eligible for the draft or not. There's some evidence that he might be. There's some evidence that maybe he isn't. Um, Ultimately, that will be a decision that the NBA will make about whether he's actually eligible for the draft or not. And they have not made that decision. You know, I think a lot of people think that because some of the reports that came out there said he's eligible for the draft, that they've made the decision. They haven't. The NBA hasn't. But he has to declare first. And then if he declares. But let's, let's say for a minute, he goes ahead and says, you know what, this is too lucrative to pass on. I declare for the draft. The NBA says, okay, you're eligible uh, for this draft. Teams won't have seen him play in games at Kentucky. Uh, you know, he's playing in high school, but because of the pandemic and a lot of other things, there's a little bit more limited scouting profile than scouts would typically like. Um, he has been engaged in practice, but is he scrimmaging in practice? Uh, as far as I know, he is. Um, that, that's what I've been told, that he's, he's getting in there and playing with, um, I guess, I don't know which unit he's playing with, but I've heard he's playing in practice. So, so you get a little, you're getting, getting a little bit of that. And then, of course, you'll have him in workouts, though my guess is the way that most agents handle this, that the chances of Shaden Sharp actually being in a competitive workout with another player are probably going to be slim. Uh, my, my guess is that's how his agent's going to hand, handle this. Is not, I'm not going to do anything to screw this up. And just sort of let this be, you know, sight unseen and let him get in a gym. But based off of what you've seen and, you know, scouting him in high school and, you know, what you're hearing from Kentucky or whatever, what's what's the 
best case scenario for Shaden Sharp in the NBA. Uh, you mean like his ceiling as a player? Yeah, yeah, Is that what yeah you mean? ceiling as a player, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the, the, the elevator pitch, which is what I always go to for him is you're getting a guy who's very explosive, has the build of like, I think he's probably more like six, four, six, five, maybe six, four and a half with long arms, big hands. So he fits the mold of like a big scoring kind of, um, the combo word is scary, but he's, he's that type of like elite scoring He fits that mold. Um, I, I think he's probably in that like 38 to 40 inch vertical range. He could be, um, a big time score, but uh, I have questions about him. When I, whenever I watch him, he he strikes me as uh, somebody that has like a workout game. Like when when I watch some of these younger wings, I'll I'll watch them, and you can see them kind of the, the basketballs played in like one on one, two on two, three on three type situations, and especially in the way actions run these days, it's not always even can he make a decision in a pick and roll. It's like can he play a, th- a three on three game with spacers spacers in the corner. I haven't seen a lot of that from him in terms of he is very like straight lines, beat my man, hit a three. Um, so I don't even really know what type of playmaker he is because we watch him in e- EYBL and he's really trying to just cook his guy. And we had sen- similar questions with Jalen Green, but these are different body types. You know, he's he's built a little bit bigger. He's built like somebody that could become a pretty good on-ball defender in the NBA. If he's going to be um, an elite shot creator, if he's going to be um, somebody, but the, so many of these things are questions. I'd have a hard time taking him at number one because of that. But is he worth a gamble somewhere in there? I mean, he has star potential to answer your question. He is, he does have star potential, but it the hypotheticals kind of loom in a way that makes me a little uneasy. Even at Kentucky, I kind of, I'm a little higher on Casey Wallace right now, the guy that's coming into Kentucky right now, because I like, you know, Nick Smith is another guy that I feel like is, I'm a little more sure about some of the things he does, but the hypotheticals of Shane Sharp are very strong because he has a lot of tools. And that's something we, we talk a lot about. It's like, but will those tools be functional? Well, it's catnip for NBA scouts and general managers, right? Like when you watch these guys all year, you do, do get to this process and we're starting to get there where at first it's kind of upside, then it starts to be nitpicking, then they get downright mean uh, towards every prospect in the draft. This is, uh, you know, in the next month will be when every GM will be saying this is a terrible draft, everybody sucks. And then when you get into June, when you have to actually select a guy, then the psychology changes and, and then every guy drafted in, in the first and second round has a chance to be a huge impact player for your team, right? Like, um, you know, you go through those sort of, cause you have to talk yourself into whoever you, it is you're taking. Um, but th- these guys are always the most dangerous because there isn't a lot of evidence to either direction. And so you can, you can project whatever you want onto these players. And I think with Shaden Sharp, this is going to be one of the really unique cases of there isn't a lot of evidence that you're going to be able to gather uh, one way or the other. Uh, and and you're, to get, you're just going to have to follow your gut and, and which teams will be disciplined and say, we don't know, have enough evidence. We're going to take a guy that we have more evidence on versus the person that says the little bit of evidence that is there suggests star and and we're going to really roll the dice here and and, and hope that he becomes one. Now, I would say this that, for Shaden Sharp, his yeah, biggest yeah. risk is going back to Kentucky by by far. Like um, <laughs> Kentucky fans won't want to hear that, but it's true. Yeah, uh, for him personally, <laughs> like he 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 runs it, and we've seen this, right? I mean, the, this this year's draft, Caleb Houston, 
um, Patrick Baldwin. I mean, we can go through the list of of um, of high school players that Peyton Watson that have had very uh, in, in, internationally. Yannick Zosa, Usmani um, Jang. Um, Hamadou scouts, Diallo did it at yeah. Kentucky. Came back and got nitpicked to where he might have gone a little higher. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I, you know, I mean, if I if I was advising his family, I would say you if you if you're risk averse, um, this is actually the least risky path is to go into the draft right now. Um, but there's good reasons to stay, and one of them is he doesn't feel he's ready, and that's been the narrative out of there is that he's he's not ready and he wants to improve and thinks that he can do that at Kentucky as opposed to being in the G League or, um, you know, getting thrown you know, thrown into the wolves uh, with the wolves at the NBA level. And that's, that's a legitimate reason to, to, to go back to school. And, you know, now that you can get endorsements and everything else, maybe, you know, there's, there's a good argument. Yeah. Financially. Yeah. It's less of a a cliff that you fall off. You know, it's less of a like crack chasm that you could fall into. And I was going to say too, that we've seen guys like this in the past where we've had limited, sorry, the the Ted Cruz there. Uh, We've seen guys in the past where we've, um, had limited sample on them and someone has taken them but a lot of times when they'll fall into the later part of the first round there where it's like Anthony Simons was similar where it was just like who is this guy what's going on with this I mean people yeah and then um, Mitchell Robinson is another guy a big guy but um it's it's paid off for them um he's he's a really intriguing player I don't know that I'm I worry so much about him just getting like exposed but um I don't know. Next year's team, I don't think that there's going to be like undue pressure on him in a way that would make him look bad. Because I do think that they're going to be returning a lot of guys. Some guys just flat out can't play. Like, uh, I mean, I, I was worried about Diallo for that reason when he came back because when I was watching a lot of his tape, I was just like, this guy seems really raw. And just like a lot of the the questions I had about him came back to bite him. Actually, I'm less worried about that with Sharp. Um, but if he's top five, I think if he gets in that five range, I agree with you. I think he's got to go. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about Built Bar, a longtime sponsor of NBA Big Board. And they have a new product that's called Puffs. If you haven't tried one of these, you're missing out. Uh, Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're a treat. They're covered in 100% real chocolate. Puffs are a fan favorite with some of the incredible flavors. Yummy cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. They're delicious. All Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, including Puffs. 100% 100% real chocolate, and they're low calorie. They're high protein. You replace your candy bars with these. They're better. They're, a typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. So go to built.com, scroll down to the macros chart. You'll be blown away. High protein, low calorie, high fiber, low carbs. Most built bars contain 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, 17 grams of protein. Compare that with a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, dozens of net carbs, mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond. And for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They're all delicious. New flavors are coming all the time. At Built Bar, they are all about taste. They make it taste delicious first, then figure out how to make it healthy. And I don't know about you, but they pull it off every time. Uh, go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off built.com. Those sound delicious. They're, they're amazing. They, they actually <laughs> really, really are. All right. Sounds too good to be true almost. Yeah, too good, too good to be true. <laughs> Got to check out the Bill Bar. Um, candy yeah. bar. It's good for you. It's awesome.
He's Jay Calman of The Ringer. Really appreciate this conversation. We kind of went deep on, on several guys. We're going to go kind of speed round now through do some other prospects up there. Best guard in this draft. Uh, how it, like just in general, like uh, yeah, you like, want you want Jaden Ivey, you want Johnny Davis, you want Shaden Sharp. Uh, there are a lot of uh, the subcategories would would steer me in different directions. I mean, like I said, uh, the best like off the bounce, wiggly, like get to the rim guard. I think it's Jaden Ivey, the best catch and shoot guard in the draft. Um, I mean, in terms of like a crafty shot creator, I think it's Johnny Davis has some of that like kind of crafty toolsy like Devin Booker. -y. I haven't seen this anywhere, but I feel like Devin Booker has to be his favorite player when I watch him like face up and like rip through and all that stuff. Um, I, in terms of like explosive, like defensive upside, um, I think Benedict Matherin and like Kendall Brown both are, are could stand to be pretty good defenders at the next level. Um and then, you know, I guess if you want to count AJ Griffin as a two, I think he's probably the best catch and shoot guard in the draft. Um, do you do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I'm a, I'm an Ivy guy. I mean, if 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 you're asking me who's the first guard off my board, if I'm if I'm guard drafting, period. yeah, it's it's Ivy. Uh, I think that uh, like everybody at this level, I have concerns. Uh, you know, I'm not we're we're billing him as a combo guard. I'm not sure that he's all the way there yet. He gets a little bit tunnel vision. I think the athleticism, the explosiveness combined with that, that, that gear that he gets into um, where he wants to take over games, I, I think he's going to figure it out. I also just, you know, I'm not a big, you know, gene guy. I'm not like Mr. Uh, Skip Bayless, you know, what have you. But I, I do like players that their parents are coaches and, you know, work with them as his mom, a former WNBA player, then an NBA coach, and now uh, a, a women's basketball head coach as well. Um, I, I think, I think that that all is, is, is helpful um, to me. Uh, I like Johnny Davis. I'm a little bit, I, I, a little bit concerned about his low volume of, of shooting threes and like what, you know, what's up with that um, a bit, because I think that's going to have to be a big part of his game in the NBA to kind of reach his level. Matherin to me is the three and D is great. It's everything in between that I, I, I question, right? Like he is your prototypical, like shoot threes, um, athleticism defense, but his creativity off the bounce and his ability to, to score in anything other than sort of straight line drives is it, that's when you start to see him roll out of his depth um, a bit. And that, that concerns me a little bit. I'm an AJ Griffin guy as well. Um, yeah. And, what do you think uh, about him as a creator, though? Is uh, do you see that? I mean, that is a question mark. I think um, it, is he it, limited there? Is it? Yeah, it's so tough because of the team that he's on. Like you said, where uh, you know you've got kind of three guys playing kind of de facto point guard on this team, and you know Paulo being a playmaker as well. Um, it, it seems like his role on this team is to spot up and, and and shoot the basketball. So we haven't really seen that as much. Got to go back to high school. All the injuries. I mean, the injury thing to me is by far the biggest you know, red flag is, is there something to the fact that he's run into so many injury issues? It could be a fluke. He could be fine going forward. He's going to be a guy for sure that if you see him slide on draft night, when the NBA team's got the medicals, there was something that they think could be a long-term issue like Michael Porter Jr. or somewhere else that starts to, to, to slide him. I, I know every scout that I talk to, they're like, I, I'm going to reserve my opinion on whether he's a top five pick till I see the medicals. And, uh, and that's, that seems to be the biggest question, but he's young too. And, and I think that's, you know, another, another thing that he's a little bit younger than some of these other prospects.
I, I really worry about something Jonathan Charks and I talk a lot about is like, where does your easy stuff come from in your game? And and does do does everything else kind of ripple out from there? Because that's what the NBA game is about. Every star has like a simple proposition. I get buckets this way. If you're going to have star upside, when I watch Davis, I'm like, he's a crafty score. I just don't know. Sometimes I'll see him. Sometimes you can have such insane craft and skill and like mentality. Like Booker is a good example that you can get to your shot pretty consistently. I see him working a little harder than I would like at times to get his shot. Um, I, I was going to bring up to you, like, I know I'm Ty Ty was a big recruit before he came to Kentucky. So this isn't a biased thing, but I feel like in terms of like a dribble pull up shooter, Ty Ty's touch has really impressed me this year. We've gone to the point where I've been like, eh, don't take that too. Like, Every time he takes any kind of pull up, even out the three point line, um, I like it. I I, I kind of I'm more confident about him as a shooter and a dribble shooter than I was in the past. Yeah, Ty Ty by far the most polarizing guy. He's been at ten on my board and he's been at twenty five on my board. And uh, yeah, wow. yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, he is definitely a guy that scouts see exactly what you see or they kind of look at his frame they wonder a little bit about how he, his durability how he's going to hold up he also is the oldest freshman in this class and so you're you're taking that somewhat with a grain of salt obviously he hasn't really gotten a lot of opportunities to be the lead guy um, there because severe wheeler when he did i think he had a 17 assist like in one of those uh you know in one of those games yeah which which yeah. was was awesome it really interesting tai tai it i think that after the guys that you mentioned, Matherin, um, Johnny Davis, AJ Griffin, Kendall Brown is another guy that's a bit polarizing. And offensively, I totally get it. Um, defensively, the athleticism and, and his in, intelligence, I think, as a as a basketball player, I think he actually really sees and feels the game in a way that I kind of feel like he's going to figure it out. I think I take the Baylor guys, both him and Sohan, a little bit with a grain of salt because of what they're they're young freshmen in a, in a much kind of older setting and team with championship aspirations. I think they are, they're asked to play a role and they do it and they do it well. Um, but they're, they're not asked to do more. Um, I'm not sure that maybe that's what makes Kendall Brown look good is that he's not asked to do more. Uh, you know, Frank, you know, frankly, I mean, you can go both ways, but I'm a Kendall, um, Kendall Brown guy. And then, and then we didn't talk about this guy, um, Keegan Murray, um, who, from a from a you know just a who's having the best season in college basketball he, he's one of two or three guys that you're saying he has the he's had the best season in college basketball and I mean it's in it's in everything I mean he, this Iowa team is nothing without him uh, but he carries them on their back and he's he's scoring rebounding blocking shots steals like uh, hitting threes uh, driving to the basket I mean he, he's doing everything he's also very old for a sophomore he's almost going to be almost 22 years old on draft night and so you've got to take that you know you got to take that into consideration this isn't your typical sophomore he's definitely older where does keegan murray fit in all this from a production standpoint he's been awesome i guess it depends on um your confidence level of him because I, I mean i don't expect him to be like uh translate as like an initiator type i see him as probably a rotation level player most likely, but if he's attacking off the catch, I mean, the three point shooting numbers uh, were a little better than I had remembered. They were up a, a little. I bit, think he's but, up uh, to like 37, 38% now. Yeah. He's got, I, I've watched him like try to attack bigs off the, off the dribble. I uh, like, I'm, 
I'm a little bit more confident about him as like playing off the catch. And then I guess the question for a lot of these guys who have questions of that nature is the defensive upside. Can can they can they provide? Because he's shown a broad skill set, like we've talked about. Like he can provide all these different things and give you value without being without punishing you with like inefficiency. If uh, the, the defensive question, can he stay? If he can keep himself on the floor defensively and then provide you like just nickel and dime you with like a, as a well-rounded player. Yeah, uh, I, but he strikes me as more of like a 10 to 20 type player in a normal draft. Um, top 10, because I don't know about, but of course, on the other side of this, you've been doing this a long time. You know that like you fall into a pitfall whenever you start to think about this is the type of player that I should take here. Like, or, you know, you'll see players reach in that seven, eight, nine, ten 10 range. Um, he, he strikes me as more of a like high floor um, I don't know about star. Like I, I wouldn't go into that level with him. Um, but he's he's a really, you know, well-rounded player. We we've seen it. You talked about Jalen Duran a little bit, also one of the youngest players uh in this draft. Um one thing that's interesting, you know, is uh I, I can't remember. I went back and looked at this and I can't remember the number now, but you know, that centers being drafted in the NBA draft is obviously there's been a trend. It used to be I'm old enough to sort of remember that, you know, you take Greg Oden over Kevin Durant because, duh, you always take a franchise center over over everyone else. And, I, you know, as, as much as the, the Blazers were pounded for that, that was the conventional wisdom for almost every general manager, um, at, you know, at that point. And Bill Simmons and I got into huge debates about it because I was also a big Kevin Durant guy. I liked Kevin Durant better, but I still was in that draft mindset of you take a franchise center over everybody else. This is this is a draft that's really interesting in that wings are by far the most coveted position in the NBA and what, you know, teams are hunting in the draft and we've seen that the last couple of drafts. But this draft is just loaded with big guys. It just is. Um and 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 less so with wings. And so you know you've got Chet and Paolo, uh, you know Jabari, I mean whether you want to call him a big guy or not, you know, you know he's he he's not a wing. I, I don't I don't think Jabari Jabari Smith's going to be a wing. Then you've got Jalen Duran um, who's coming in as well. You've got uh, guys like Mark Williams out of Duke. Uh, you've got Walker Kessler, uh, who is putting up historic numbers as a shot blocker that we haven't seen in college basketball in the last you know 20 years. You've got Oscar Shibway, who's putting up rebounding numbers that we haven't seen uh, from anybody in the last like 30 years in college basketball. There's a lot of bigs, and we're not even talking about the international guys where several other guys are, you know, Ishmael Kamagate and others are, are coming in as well. Um it's it's interesting. The NBA teams are going to be forced their hand a little bit because the the, the better players in this draft are are taller. Um, Durin, you know, does he have a modern NBA big man game? It, he kind of looks more to me like again like how you would go draft a big guy fifteen years ago. He he strikes me as in the template. I'm always careful to say that the template, not the exact comp of a like a Kong Wu. Um, he's a little taller than a Kong Wu or a Bam, like uh, somebody that is very twitchy, long, athletic. Um, I mean, super raw offensively. He's nowhere near like the passer that that Bam is, and a Kong Wu d- didn't get enough credit for how like smart a player he was coming out of USC. But I am we're, st- we're seeing some of those things with Atlanta now, but. Um, Duran is to me that type of player who can get out and pretty switchable. I could see him being a pretty switchable player at some point. Uh, if you put him on a team that has a lot of ball skills around him, like crazy wingspan, um, Memphis has really kind of come on recently. 
Um, and as you've seen that team, like their spacing and things clean up uh, with 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 different things that have happened for them. That's 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 the template that he fits for me. Like because people compare to Kong Wu to Bam, and I was like, he's not quite the same twitchy athlete. But Duran is. It's just he's not as. Of course, we didn't see all these things from Bam either. You had to kind of read between the lines in college. Um, he he was more of a run, jump, dunk, post up type player. We had no idea he could play that elbow creator type style. Maybe Duran could. You know, he's maybe if you put him in a situation with two guards that can really score. If there's a team, maybe even OKC, that's an interesting one. Portland's an interesting one. Um, that's that's where I am on Duran. He he intrigues me a lot. Uh, to be honest. Okay. Uh, let's just talk because Kentucky's your, you know, where your expertise is. Oscar Shibway, does he have a path to success in the NBA? Um, obviously, he, he's, he's a legitimate candidate for player of the year. Playing hard is a skill. I'm not sure there's anybody who, that plays more like their life depends on it than, than Shibway does every night. Uh, and rebounding is a skill. And, and one of the, you know, box score stats that typically does translate at the next level, right? Like if you're a good rebounder in college, you tend to be a good rebounder um, in the NBA. Do you see a, a path for him? And would you at all consider him a potential first round pick? I'm not talking about lottery now, but just like anywhere in the first round or is this? No. He's made me eat crow a lot over the past year. I'll be honest. <laughs> when, when Cal wanted him the first time, I, I didn't really know a lot of those like micro skill details about him, I think. And those are the things that have made me look dumber and dumber as time has gone on. I just saw a bruising. Cal's attracted to these types of players. Like he, uh, I had somebody joke with me that like Cal, if he could, would go down like the NFL combine and just look at the times and sizes and just that would be it. He likes to beat you up. He likes to play defense. He wants to grind. And I that's what I saw. But like with Oscar, I see him and I just think... I can tell you what I think his weaknesses are. I mean, obviously the size thing is an issue. I've compared him a lot to, he reminds me of like the, what Tyler Hansbro did at the college level where he would just work people to death. He, he would just kill you with easy buckets. Um, he's got his face up game has developed a little more over the past few months. Like he's starting to hit that like 15 to 18 footer. Could he extend that out and make like a pick and pop three? Maybe I wouldn't put it past him. I don't, I worry about the speed, like as the speed of drop coverage increases, as it gets faster and faster against faster guards that are bigger, I worry about him on that front. I think we might see that in the tournament. Um, but, uh, and then he also just really struggles to pass when he draws too. Like he struggles to see it coming. You, you don't see that a lot with like guys that play soccer growing up. I thought he'd be a little better at it, but he's very slow at like recognizing it and passing it out. And he just doesn't have a lot of craft around the basket. And yet he scores a lot. It's really, it's an interesting thing. So I, I keep underestimating him. If I were him, I would come back um, because A, he's going to make an incredible amount of money here. He is, Chad, he is like unbelievably popular in the state of Kentucky. Um, so those are kind of, I mean, what do you see him as an NBA player? I'm curious to hear. Yeah, I, 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 I think the Tyler Hansbro comp is a, is, is a really great one. I think, I think Oscar's longer than Tyler Hansborough. I, th I think not only was Tyler undersized, but I, I don't think there was any, any positive wingspan there um, at all, which, which just sort of makes it different. And, and Tyler probably a little bit more skilled offensively than, than Oscar Oscar was. But if you're talking about a guy that just drives you nuts to play against because of how hard they go at you and grind at you uh, every moment, I think that that's a, actually a really great, you know, comparison, like 80% of his success was effort. Um, and just, just sort of toughness and, you know, and look, Hansbro carved out a, 
he got drafted too high, but you know, he, he stayed around in the league for a bit. I, I agree with you that this is probably a case where now that he's um, gotten the permission or ability to get NIL money that, uh, you know, it's, it makes a lot of sense for him to come back. I don't think his draft stock goes anywhere next year. It's probably whatever it is this year, it's probably exactly the same, you know, next year. Uh, and so coming back and enjoying being beloved in Kentucky and playing such a dominant role where he's definitely most likely going to be somebody that comes off the bench to give you some energy and rebounding and toughness uh, on, on a given night in the NBA. That's like probably his max out role. Yeah. I, 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 I agree with you. I, I think this is an example of a guy that just comes back because the, the downside is so low, but there's a lot of fun upsides about staying in college for him for a year and, um, you know, getting another, another bite at a, a potential na- national championship. Yeah. I think you have to just start kind of like reading between the lines and saying like, can we see him growing? Do you see him like spatially his like spatial recognition growing? Do you see his touch growing? It could, it could. Yeah. And could you see him? I don't see him as, as like an elite rim protector because he doesn't really block things at the rim. He kind of catches them early. Like he's sort of that type of player. And it's like, is he is is Isaiah Stewart a lot better than him? I've found myself wondering about that. It's like Stewart, I think is a little longer Stewart has like a seven five. I think it's like a seven five wingspan, yeah. But it's yeah. it's that type of player, and I, you know, but Isaiah Stewart was also a lot younger, and I think people, you know, if Isaiah Stewart had been Shibwe's age, he wouldn't have not gone sixteenth in the draft. Yeah, I I think he's somebody you you pick him up, you kick the tires on him. I don't know that I would use a high pick on him because of the again the growth plate thing where we're talking about where can these skills expand. But he's he's fascinating because he just doesn't have any kind of delusions about who he is, and he just destroys you with that. He's just like, nope, I'm gonna put my butt into you, baby hook, baby hook, rebound, and it, he just wears people out. It's it's really he's fun to have on our team. I'll say that I've I've enjoyed him. I've enjoyed being wrong. That's what I always say about Kentucky guys. Uh, if I'm right, great. But if they prove me wrong, I win either way. <laughs> Last question for you. I'll put you on the spot here. Always like to hear like who's it? Who's the secret? J. Kyle Mann guy. Like, who's a guy like all the guys we've talked about so far, everybody's talking about as, as, you know, being a top 10 guy. So, this doesn't even have to be a top 10 guy for you, but is there a guy that maybe isn't getting the love that, like, when you watch him, you think, hey, this guy would be considerably higher on my board than kind of the consensus boards that are out there? It's hard because so many people are talking about it these days that it's like hard to find one that's, uh, <laughs> that, that surprises people. I always like whenever we do our draft coverage, I'll like get down to my tiers and I'll be like, these are my like bargain bin DVDs. These are the guys like, you know, you go into Walmart and be like, oh, wow, that was a good movie for five bucks. Uh, I feel like Jaime Jaquez is an interesting player that I feel like is going to like buy into. Um, he's he's the type of guy that is just going to put both hands on a roll and just like he's a smart player. He defends his ass off. Um, I could see him being he could hit open shots if he played. He's just the kind of guy that's going to like give you value because he doesn't have any kind of, um, like I said, again, any kind of like delusion about who he is. That's just one that kind of comes off. That's, that's a great one. one. That's yeah. a great one. Yeah. Um, I, I have started to get, I actually kind of fell in love with Jabari Walker when he had that big game against uh, Georgetown in the tournament. And, you know, I, I didn't pay that much attention to him coming in. And I, you know, I saw that, okay, you know, I like six, nine, six, ten. 
athletic guys who can stroke the ball. I started watching him closely at Colorado. That's smart of you to like that. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I started watching Colorado early in the season. I was a little bit disappointed. The shot wasn't falling. He was rebounding his butt off and he put on like 15 pounds of muscle. And he, I started to change the way I started thinking about him, but I actually was less intrigued. His last 10 games, he has been on fire from three. He's averaging 20 points a game, shooting like 44% from three. He's averaging like 14 rebounds per, per 36 minutes a game. And he's 19 still. Uh, and, you know, he's Samaki Walker's son. And I'm, I'm asking myself, everybody who has Patrick Baldwin still as a potential lottery pick, because he's a 6'10 guy who can, who can shoot the basketball and space the floor, uh, Jabari Walker is a much better athlete. He's a much better rebounder. They're essentially the exact same age. He didn't just completely destroy his freshman season the way that that, that Patrick Baldwin did. Um, you know, he's playing in the Pac-12. Uh, this is one of these guys that I'm like, explain to me to scouts like why you would have Patrick Baldwin Jr. higher than Jabari Walker when the the value proposition is is quite similar. But Jabari Walker does so many other things better. And, and Patrick Baldwin was not, in my opinion, really great for Team USA in the, in, in the under-19s. Um, I, I can make all the excuses in the world for why his season didn't go the way it was planned, the injuries and, and you know, playing in a very poor talent around you and uh, maybe asking him to do stuff that he can't really do. Um, but yeah, I, I think Jabari Walker... I, if it was me right now and I was drafting between those two guys, I'd take Jabari Walker over Patrick Ball. I think that's probably think, somewhat of a hot take. I, I think that's a pretty strong argument. I, I like I Ball, Walker is somebody. I mean, Samaki Walker is a guy that was pretty big. I'm, I live in Louisville. He's he's a legend here, but um, and people have been really excited to watch him. But he's somebody that people hit me up about a lot. Like I hear a lot of people that I trust talk about Jabari Walker consistently, and I kind of use that sometimes to like. You know, you you think things and then you you run them by the people you trust to find out if you're crazy. Sometimes they still tell you you're crazy and you kind of have to go with it. That was the way I was with like Zaire last year. I was like, I kept going to everybody. I was like, well, no one agrees with me. I guess I'm going to have to dig in here. But Pat Baldwin, I saw him at EYBL in, in 2019 in person. And uh, I came away just being like, Some, that was just not, yeah, something just isn't right with him. Because you, you kept hearing about him as a guy that could like, catch and shoot and relocate at his size uh, efficiently and that's like okay yeah it's six nine six ten that's that's very fun that's a pr fun idea um i i need to like dial in and, and sort of crystallize my opinion on walker a little more i think before i can make that call they could both end up being solid players but i understand your argument there with with walker i think that's perfectly reasonable so i put him 26 on my board and i think that was the thing that a lot of people were like most surprised at um, at the at the board, um, maybe Tracavian Smith as well. Um, putting him as high as 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 I, as I did as well was probably somewhat of a surprise. But um, those are probably two guys that I've really warmed up to as the season's gone on. And um, especially, I think it's really funny. Like sometimes sophomores, if they don't come out of the gate like red hot, like they're just dropped. <laughs> like they're just it's it's it's, it's over for you, right? Um, like yeah, freshmen will. Like Zaire and what will give you a long runway um, as a freshman, but if you're a sophomore or junior, like if you don't start red hot, you're over. And and I, I think I think people need to go back and like watch what he's doing in Pac-12 play um, late lately and and maybe reevaluate. 
Yeah, I think the, the the adaptability is something that I really, really look for in the draft, like a lot. I like I want to be able to, if I can, you know, I'm not like smart enough to do it in most situations, but if I can witness that you're picking up on things and that you are learning, like that year one to year two thing is is huge. You know, if you kind of struggle year one, it's like, okay, let's see if you learn. And if you don't, you're right. It can just like people, the benefit of the doubt is zero. Yeah. And let's also remember he's 19. And uh, he's he's a, he would he would be younger than Chet Holmgren uh, and you know a number of guys that are even freshmen in the state. He's younger than Ty Ty Washington. So um, I think too you hear sophomore and it's you know there, there's a relative age difference uh, here as well that makes a difference. Hey, this was super super fun. Really appreciate you coming on the show and and, and dishing with me about the draft. Um, really great what you do. And for our listeners, if you haven't checked it out, Jay Callman over at the Ringer. Um, great stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's uh, it's an honor. It's an honor. Uh, like I said, I've I've always enjoyed your stuff for a long time, and uh, it's inspiration. And it's cool to get to do this to to get to talk to you. Thanks so much. You can listen to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on Locked On Podcast Network. We'll be back next week with Rafael Barlow uh, breaking down our top prospects to watch in March Madness. Aloha. Mm-hmm.